scripture reading for this afternoon is Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 5, the verses 13 to 26, and then John, 1 John 3, the verses 11 to 18. Galatians chapter 5, we begin at verse 13, and this is God's word. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then we'll also read 1 John chapter 3. Eleven to eighteen. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So far, the scripture reading. And now we'll turn to the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Book of Praise, Lord's Day 40. And there we confess the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Lord's Day 40. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I'm not to dishonor hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself, and therefore also the government bears a sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. So far, our confession of the Sixth Commandment. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls who belong to the Lord, it seems that Nowadays, television is awash with all kinds of detective series. Interesting, you know, to, to follow a detective or a group of detectives as they solve crimes. Usually, it seems to be murders. A relief when they finally catch the criminal and justice is done. And it's true that many of those stories are fictional. Some are based on true crimes, real murders. But eventually I find you get tired of watching murders being solved. The reality is that there are all kinds of murders in our nation every year. In 2020, the most recent year, the Statistics Canada has issued statistics for, as far as homicides go, there were 743 homicides in Canada. And you wonder, how did 743 people come to the point that they actually took somebody else's life? You can't undo a murder. And you cause an incredible amount of wreckage in many other people's lives through that, as well as your own life. Even if you get away with it, you're always looking over your shoulder. A lot of those murders, I know, are connected with gang wars. But a lot of them are committed by people who knew and were even close to their victims. Spouses or former friends or even 
siblings. I trust that none of us here have ever taken a gun or a knife or some poison in hand and actually threatened or even took the life of another person. But it says a lot about the state of life in this fallen world that we live in, that God also included the sixth commandment for his people at Sinai, his covenant people. From the beginning, when one brother murdered another, murder has been and continues to be part of this world. Think of all the abortions which take place as if there's nothing wrong with taking the life of an unborn human being. And you regularly hear of shootings in Toronto and you'd fear for your life if you had to walk some of the streets there in the middle of the night. Our world is full of violence against human life. Think of the wars that have taken place in the past and the present wars such as in Ukraine. You watch the news, you see images of what's going on, the awful killings taking place there, indiscriminate killings of civilians. And that shows that we, we, we don't easily tolerate each other even if we don't literally attack each other there are a lot of ways we can express that intolerance to others and make their lives difficult because we don't always murder in deed but also in our hearts you can think also boys and girls of bullying at school going after somebody who's not able to defend themselves the Lord also considers that murder, according to our confession. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We first pay attention to the wide reality of that command, and secondly, the wonderful remedy to obeying that command. First of all, the wide reality, you shall not murder. If you just take this commandment literally, I'm sure you can easily say that you, we've lived according to it. But the reality is that this commandment goes a lot deeper than outward deeds. Think of how the first murder on earth was committed. If you think of all the stages there. One brother hated another, murdered another, says in 1 John 3. Cain could not stand it that God accepted his brother's offering and not his own. He couldn't stand it that Cain believed and was pious believer. You wonder, what would that really bring Cain to murder his brother? Remember that Cain had even been warned by God, why are you so angry, Cain? Why has your face fallen? Realize that sin is crouching at your door. It didn't help. Cain became so consumed by anger in his heart that he lured his brother in the open field one day and actually struck him dead. The first murder. Adam and Eve and their two sons were the church of God. And you could even say that the first murder was committed in the church of God among God's people. And then you can't help but notice that in Galatians, the Apostle Paul expresses similar 
warnings and words to the members of the churches in Galatia, Christians. Galatians 5 verse 15. He says there too. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. He's writing to the churches. And then you see there too, actually, murder begins way before the deed with an evil heart. How do people end up ultimately taking somebody else's life if they do that? There can be all kinds of motives, but something takes place in the heart. Over time, you can become so consumed by anger and bitterness and then hatred towards another person that you want them out of your life and it can come to the point where you even want them out of this world. And it eventually turns into the deed of taking a life out of this world. So the reality of the sixth commandment is that it applies to what's in the heart way before it would ever come to a deed. You can murder without the deed. Well, the Apostle Paul places all wishing somebody else out of someone's life on the side of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 verse 19. If we just go by our sinful nature, our own desires and feelings, then that'll be the outcome if God doesn't hold things back by his power. What, what happens then is a church in which people bite and hate each other and eventually destroy one another, are consumed by one another. And it's striking that when the apostle gives example of what the sinful nature produces, he mentioned quite a number of things that have to do with murder according to this, what we confess in, in Lord's Day 40, verses 20 and 21. He mentions a whole list there. Hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, all having to do with the sixth commandment. And you realize those desires and feelings belong to situations in which people come into conflict with one another and confrontation with one another in murderous ways, we could say, in the church. So if God commands us not to commit murder, that, that commandment reaches deep, deeply into the heart's of all of us here too. It exposes the reality which, that lives in our flesh, our sinful nature. We're inclined to this. Paul writes verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Yeah, that, it's so evident. Yeah, you see that in the News every day, people killing one another out of jealousy, shooting one another in gang wars, willfully exposing civilians to war in Ukraine. And when we watch an episode of a detective series, then we're shown about the working of that sinful nature too. And it can all be interesting to watch, but think about what kind of world you're immersing yourself and you are part of. Yourself. You see people driven by hatred and jealousy and desire of revenge so that they end up becoming consumed by that and taking someone else's life. What a world. 
And how good it is then that God came with that command, you shall not murder. But congregation, the apostle wasn't addressing the world in general here in Galatians 5. The reality is he was directing what he was saying about those desires of the flesh to the members of the Christian church. Christian churches in the region of Galatia. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another, he says. And he uses that imagery of wild animals. Say a lion and a cheetah fighting with each other, or two lions biting, scratching, fur flying in every direction. That's how the people in Galatia were behaving, and it's not a nice picture. Some people thought they had to do away with the law altogether. Liberty, freedom. Some people said you've got to live according to the law in everything. And it became a conflict. And that's why the apostle exhorts the church members in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and not the desires of the flesh. He tells them not to bear evil in their heart toward one another. Congregation, we can be so thankful that at this time the authorities have decided to lift pretty well all the COVID restrictions. However, how to deal with those restrictions as Christians has brought about a lot of exasperation and angry opinions among us as believers. And we've all felt that there's a certain pulling apart. I won't go into all the arguments and the irritants, but I will say that there have sometimes been pretty strong feelings of antipathy toward others in the churches. It became hard to communicate except to those who shared your own thoughts and opinions, and that's where you went. You gravitated to those people. And you ignored others. Those feelings can carry on. How deep are your feelings over against others who had differing thoughts on masking or vaccine or the freedom convoys? Will we give up biting at one another now that the restrictions are disappearing and those issues are no longer there, no longer in your face? Will we be able to really listen and speak openly to each other again, even if we had those differing opinions in the past and thoughts. Congregation, if we listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, then we see something about how difficult it can truly be to live in love with one another. And it's not surprising that things went so terribly wrong between those first two brothers in history and so many others afterwards. In the church. Not easy to be fellow human beings, let alone members of the same family, or let alone also brothers and sisters in the church. Love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbors are as close as your brothers and sisters sitting in the pews with you. We belong together, we share in together in wonderful promises in Christ and experience many good things with and from one another. But that's also when differences of opinion can easily get blown out of proportion and cause alienation between members of the body of the, the Lord. We've been given to each other by the Lord. But it's easy to lose sight of that 
when the feelings are involved, you meet each other, and in your heart, things don't feel like they were before anymore. Distance has crept in. Congregation, we're all people who, even though we belong to Christ, still have those sinful natures and inclinations in our hearts. And when the Lord gives the command not to murder, but to love the neighbor as, as oneself, that applies to the church in the first place, or maybe the second place, the first being the actual family. But the thing is, we need to examine ourselves, the positions we take and our motives, test ourselves whether we automatically turn our eyes away if that other person walks by or consciously avoid that other person. Examine ourselves to see if we're prepared to allow others who have different thoughts about what's important and what's, and what's in our hearts, if we allow them to be with us. Think of the last verse of Galatians 5, let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Becoming conceited means thinking you always need to be right. And that attitude causes a person to become provocative, to challenge others, and also envious, bearing hard feelings towards others who differ. And we've seen over the past couple of years how easily those feelings can come over us. Maybe shocked by it. How could this happen? So difficult to resist those works of the flesh related to the sixth commandment. So hard not to carry evil in the heart towards others. And that brings us to the second part of the proclamation this afternoon. The wonderful remedy for obeying the sixth commandment. So how can we resist bearing evil in our hearts towards others? It's not, it's not about the deeds anymore. It's in the hearts. We're part of a fallen world, broken, filled with violence, envy, hatred, and anger. What is the remedy for those sins against the sixth commandment which also want to rise up out of our flesh, our sinful nature, as brothers and sisters in the Lord? Well, congregation, note how the Apostle Paul begins that section we read from Galatians 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, to freedom. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You've got to fight your flesh, then don't give it an opportunity. We've been freed from the slavery of keeping the law, trying to obtain life by our own obedience to the law. Freed in Christ, who perfectly kept the law for us. But that doesn't mean that we're now free to follow the desires and the wants that rise up in our own flesh, out of our own sinful nature, because that only brings to slavery again. No, Christ bought us and freed us so that we might live in freedom. The freedom of having to save ourselves by our obedience to the law. But having freed us, he also wants to send his spirit into our hearts in order to teach us to live in that freedom and not to fall into becoming slaves of sin and of ourselves, in fact, of our sinful nature. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, people who live 
by their own sinful desires and feelings might think they're free. They're not. We can think in connection of, with what we confess in Lord's Day 40 about feelings of envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge. And you can fall into that slavery. And that's, that slavery is then you just can't stand someone. You can't help it then. The more you're in that, the less you can stand them. And even when the reason for that anger has already passed or been dealt with, then you're still enslaved by the impulse, uh, impulses of your sinful nature. As long as those impulses remain in your heart and mind, you're a captive of your own sinful nature. Those feelings just keep feeding themselves, in fact. You end up in what today is called a silo, your own little silo. You end up continually looking for justification for your irritation with the other person, even when the original irritation is long past. Fuel for your anger or your bitterness, your jealousy. And then your heart is caught in this cycle of bitterness in a slavery of murderous feelings. I wish that person didn't exist. But the wonder of what the apostle writes to the Galatian church members in Galatians 5 is that you should remember that you've actually been freed from slavery in the first place. You should remember that you were baptized into Christ. It's a big difference between a believer and a non-believer. A believer is no longer a slave to his or her own desires, his or her own desires and feelings. You're no longer ruled by the reactions of your sinful nature. That person said to me, said that to me, so I'm not going to talk to him or her again. No use talking. But Paul tells the Galatians, you have been called to liberty, freedom. Called to live free from those sinful attitudes and inclinations when you were baptized into Christ Jesus. He is the only remedy for overcoming slavery to the sinful nature. Remember, you belong to Him. Congregation, we can and may begin living in freedom in Christ. He alone can change your hearts. He alone can open your heart so that real good can get in there. And He does that not by force, but by His Holy Spirit. His Spirit can change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And what a massive change if you think about it. You won't be able to see that change on an x-ray or in an MRI scan, but it will certainly be noticeable in your life. Instead of conceit, wanting to lift and hold yourself up and apart from others, you become humble. And I love what C.S. Lewis once said about humble. He said, becoming humble isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking more of Christ and thinking more of others than too. And you see how that works when you read what the Apostle writes in Galatians 5 about those two worlds over against each other, those two ways of living, those two attitudes. On the one side, the flesh, the sinful nature, our own wills. And we all know about that side. 
And on the other side, there's the Spirit of Christ. And as a believer who gives up self and embraces Christ, we want to experience that world more and more. Those two worlds stand over against each other. They're in conflict with one another. And the apostle describes what the world of the flesh consists of. Now the works of the flesh are evident, he says. These are the things that fly, flow out of our own feelings and desires and reactions by nature. That, that will produces so many feelings and actions which are against the sixth commandment. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. Those things so easily come up out of ourselves, of our sinful nature. But notice that when the apostle describes the work of the Spirit of Christ in us, he uses the word fruit. Fruit is a, it's a lot different. The life in the Spirit isn't some, something that we bring about in ourselves then. No, the Spirit plants it in us when we embrace Christ too, in whom we have been baptized. And that Spirit lets it grow in us, makes it grow in us. Think about that. Fruit grows on trees, so the Spirit grows the fruit of loving attitude and loving deeds in those who have been freed by Christ, especially the attitude towards others. Listen to the wonderful type of fruit which the Spirit causes to grow more and more in the hearts of those who know Christ. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you hear that list, you realize that it actually describes the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He had all these qualities. This is how he was and is. And the Spirit, his Spirit wants to renew us more and more after his image, being in him. And is that your desire, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, to become more and more like your Savior, Jesus Christ, who has put his name on you? That your world is less and less about yourself and more about others, as it was with him who gave himself for others. So that if opinions differ from yours, that you don't just write others off, but continue to show kindness and gentleness, as Jesus showed kindness, even when he was misunderstood by so many people while he was on earth. And if things don't go your way, that you remain patient, as he was with his disciples, even with Judas, who betrayed him, and who knew, he knew was going to betray him long before. And that if you're mocked, that you don't react by reviling in return, but that you entrust yourself to God as your Savior did. And that if you're mistreated, that you even pray for those who are harming you as Jesus did when the soldiers were nailing him to the cross. Is becoming like that just a dream? We have to confess that even though we know where the Spirit wants to lead us, we all too often just fall back into the old pattern of reacting and thinking out of this sinful nature, right? 
But there's no reason to lose heart because you know, too, that fruit needs time to grow. It doesn't appear on the tree all at once, completely ripened. It needs time. And it needs the nutrient of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it needs prayer. Do you have a hard time being patient with someone? Maybe have a difficult time loving a brother or sister here as, as you're called to in Christ? I read somewhere that thinking about someone in that regard means that you also are called to pray for that person. We think of each other and many of those thoughts are negative, not good. Maybe even angry and hateful thoughts when you see a certain person. But when you think of a person that way, maybe angry and hatefully, then pray to the Lord for him or her. Lord, and for yourself too. Lord, help me to accept that brother or sister. Help me to see the good in that sister instead of only looking for the bad. Lord, help that bully to stop what he's doing and to be a Christian in his behavior. And so on. Thinking about someone becomes praying for that person. And if we all do that, then the Spirit guarantees that things will change in your heart, your heart. Anger or jealousy breaks threads of a relationship in the Lord. But prayer restores the threads of relationship. Not all at once, restores those threads. And that's how the communion of saints is built up rather than broken down. And that's how the love of Christ grows in the congregation more and more. Amen.